You're listening to Confessions of a Grieving Mother by Emma's Footprints. Each week, we will be bringing you stories to give you a real look on what families go through after they experience a pregnancy or infant loss. Our goal is to help educate, support, and break the stigma around this topic. Be prepared for tears and laughter as we remember our babies. This is going to be real, raw, and vulnerable, so get your boots on. It's going to be messy. Good morning. Good morning. And welcome to season four of our podcast, okay. Confessions <laughs> of a Grieving Mother. I am Tracy, Emma's mom. I am Julie, Gus's mom. And Julie, I, before we get into our, our guests that called in today, mm-hmm. I just want to say congratulations. Thank you. Julie had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I did. She had a rainbow baby, um, November 27. 27. 27. Mm-hmm. And we could do a whole podcast about we'll have to. Uh, trauma of... Um, having a baby after you lose a baby yes but we've done that but i mean like actually having a baby right the delivery process you got real-time information to share with our yeah. listeners yeah but thank you so yes. congratulations thank you chuck james is here chuck james is here and uh he is perfect and beautiful yeah. and so welcome to season four again congratulations julie and uh we're just gonna get right to our caller on the line erica are you there yeah i'm here good morning good morning, good morning. thanks for calling in erica reached out to us on our Facebook Messenger and said, hey, can I be on your podcast? Which is fantastic. We love that. Please, pe- people keep, keep doing that, please. Yeah. We, uh, that makes our job easier, finding guests. Um, okay, Erica, why did you reach out to us? Where are you uh, from? We wanna, I want to know where you're from. Well, okay. okay. I'll start <laughs> sure. there. Sorry. Um, I'm from New York, um, about an hour and a half north of the city. Um, and I reached out for a few reasons, I guess. Um, I've always kind of felt compelled to tell my story. Um, I know there's probably millions of people who have gone through something similar. Um, but as a mental health professional, um, I feel it's important, um, you know, for people, for people to know and understand that even as a mental health professional, I had such difficulty navigating my own grief. Um, so I can only imagine, you know, people that aren't um, as familiar with with mental health and navigating that world, um, dealing with their own grief. It's incredibly, incredibly hard. Yeah. How long? Okay. So in your message, you said I'm an RN graduating as an NP next month. So did you graduate? Yes, I did. Okay. Congratulations to you. <laughs> Thank you so much. And how long have you been doing that? Um, so I have been a psychiatric nurse for over 15 years. Wow. What made you get into that field? Um, so my mom and my grandmother were both psychiatric nurses. So mm. I guess it was kind of in the blood. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, That's but pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Um, I actually started as a pediatric um, medical surgical nurse, a med surge nurse. Mm. Um, yeah. So I did that my first year at a nursing school. And then I actually went into pediatric psych. Um, I love, always loved working with kids. So I did pediatric psych for like 10 years. Wow. That's really cool. I know. I just want to talk about that. I know. I I want to learn more about that. (laughs) (laughs) So you are, you're married? Uh, No, I'm actually single. So I did this. um, Well, when I had my losses, it was kind of on my own. Okay. Oh, okay. So this will be a part of the story. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. All that right. was uh, tough. So let's start with um, when you found out you were pregnant and what that looked like. 
Sure. Um, so kind of long story short, um, I was uh, born with a congenital anomaly of my reproductive system. Um, so it was always going to be an issue for me to get pregnant. Um, I wasn't going to get pregnant the conventional way, <laughs> so to speak. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can um, I just ask and interrupt? How did you figure sure. that out? You know, was something going on with your body and you went in and got checked out? What did that look yep. like? Um, so basically when I was 18 or 19, like basically my first OB <laughs> appointment ever, um, she basically did an exam and I have what is called uterus dididelphus. So it is, um, I have two uterus and two cervix. Wow. Whoa. Uh, so, you know, yeah. So she kind of figured that out on the, <laughs> on the first exam. Um, so I, you know, at that young, I wasn't really, you know, thinking about babies and birth and that kind of stuff. I was always told that, you know, I would probably be a high risk pregnancy and, you know, it wouldn't, it would be difficult mm-hmm. um, because of the, the situation. Um, and I didn't really start thinking about that seriously until, you know, I was in my mid twenties. I was with um, my then, my ex-husband now, but, um, you know, I was never going to get pregnant the conventional way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically um, of my two uteruses, one is functioning, one is not to make things perfectly simple. Wow. <laughs> um, and in the process of kind of my infertility journey, um, I had an exploratory surgery just to kind of see what was what. And unfortunately, um, on the side of my functioning uterus, I have no ovary or fallopian tube. So I'm like trying was, to see a diagram I know. and like put it all together. Like I'm like health staring, class yeah. to come back. To yeah, it's, it's very really... confusing. I, I've never heard and I like, I mean, it's interesting, I guess. Right, yeah. I don't want to say that in a, in a negative space for you, but it's interesting to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I understand. It's probably super kind of weird to a lot of people. Um, and I, but you know what's going to happen? You know, now we're going to meet a lot of women yeah. that have struggled with this. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to say, me too. Um, yeah. Yeah. So basically, um, my, my one ovary and fallopian tube was on the side of the non-functioning uterus. So oh, I was my. never going to get pregnant the conventional way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, people say oh, like, oh, if you just relax and You're you like, never actually, know. Actually, no, <laughs> let me sit you down and tell you. <laughs> Did you well, know? Yeah, that, that was pretty much yeah. like that. Yeah. Like people would say that all the uh-huh. time. And then, yes, I was like, you don't understand. I literally will never get pregnant like mm. the regular way. Yeah. Like, did so, you know that my fallopian tube, like, <laughs> I, dealing with infertility, um, Erica, I can say it's happened to me too. It, it was never going to happen naturally. So yep. when people said it, I, I almost would say, but actually, no, you, if you only knew. Know. <laughs> right. And it can be hurtful because it kind yeah. of negate, it can negate the, you know, the struggle of what you're going through. Right. Um, like you don't understand. It's not going to happen for me like that. <laughs> right. So anyway, um, so I kind of, when I was with my ex-husband, we did some infertility stuff. It was more like testing. And um, so I found out like pretty much the week of my 30th birthday um, that I was never going to have biological children. Mm. So my one ovary... um, probably started in my mid to late 20s because I was having some weird kind of like hot flashy Mm -hmm. symptoms that I didn't really put 
together because I was in my 20s. Um, and I was basically going through perimenopause. Oh, wow. So, yeah, the doctor, I remember having the appointment with the reproductive specialist. And he said, oh, you know, we're doing the um, it kind of test your egg reserve. It's a mm-hmm. blood test. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically said, oh, don't worry. You know, the only thing, you know, if you hear from me, you know, it's bad news. Oh, so I remember I got a, a voicemail from him on my lunch break. Um, and he basically said, I'm so sorry, but you're never going to have biological children. Wow. So that was a whole like grief journey yeah, in and of itself. Oh yeah. That was tough. That was, that was really very, very tough. And okay. So it took me a while to come to terms with that. What point in your career? Cause I think your career plays a huge part then. I mean, you mentioned being in the field and then, you know, suffering your own losses. What did you, where did you turn to at that time? Did you realize that that that's grief? Um, can you kind of touch on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so <laughs> I guess even being in the mental health field, no, at that point in time in my kind of reproductive infertility journey, um, I didn't recognize it as grief per se. I was so, I guess I was still kind of in shock. Um, and then still in the mindset and kind of hyper focus, like I still <laughs> want to have a baby. Um, so at that time I did not process it. Like I probably should have. What, what did your husband, uh, how did he handle that? What did those conversations look like? Um, one of the, <laughs> despite our many issues and you know, why we're not together, that was mm-hmm. one thing he was always super supportive about. Um, you know, when we talked about it, he always said like, I don't care um, if we have biological children or not, you know, mm-hmm. I love you anyway, and it doesn't matter how we make our family. Um, so that I was very thankful for because he, it wasn't an issue for him. Well, that's good. That can, yeah. that can yeah. make it a lot oh, more complicated. Oh, that can be sloppy too. Yeah. 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 So that definitely made it a little easier. Um, so anyway, kind of super long story short, um, we did, I think, try to do one round of IVF when we were still together um even though the doctor you know kind of told me it's not going to happen I kind of begged him and he was like all right we can try and see what happens um you know just in case you know you never know you get that one or Mm -hmm. two good (laughs) good eggs so to speak um but it did not happen so um, it didn't even like I didn't even make it to the egg retrieval stage. The one ovary was just not <laughs> pumping any, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, not pumping anything good out. Um, so we kind of stopped that. We were having some other issues, and then we were not together yeah. uh, to kind of simplify things. So um, I guess fast forward maybe a year or two after we got divorced, um, I was in already almost in my probably early to mid thirties. And I said to myself, like, I want to have a baby. (laughs) This has always been so important to me. Um, and I'm going to do it. Yeah. Like once I get my mind set on something, um, you know, you get hyper-focused, especially when it has to do with infertility. Yeah. I was going to say, and when they tell you, you can't, then you're like, no, I'm going to watch me. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much. So that was kind of my mindset. Yeah. Um, I kind of became hyper-focused, uh, 
and you know kind of several things happened so it was very important to me to carry carry the baby since the baby wouldn't be biologically mine mm-hmm. um so it was very important to me to have that connection okay um, so you could you could carry a baby well <laughs> that's right. going to be, be complicated okay right so in, basically in theory my, yeah <laughs> my functioning uterus um mm-hmm. is probably maybe three quarters or half the size of a normal uterus wow um so any pregnancy was you know again was going to be high risk um so there was that but they always said you know we'll watch you closely blah 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 um so yeah i wasn't thinking that far ahead i was just focusing on getting pregnant sure (laughs) one step at a time yeah exactly so um i ended up connecting with um somebody another single mother by choice um through an embryo donation website okay um and she was super cool she had her child through a sperm donor and she had several embryos left um and she lived right in the city so i kind of went down there i met her and her daughter who was then you know like toddlerish at that point um and we kind of hit it off and she was like, yeah, you can have my embryos. And I was like, what? Yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. Generous. So it was amazing, generous. Um, so I did that. And I think I did two or three cycles with her embryos, which did not uh, end up working out. Um, kind of took a break for maybe a year, year and a half. And I then came to the decision that again I was so hyper focused on carrying the baby mm-hmm. to have that connection um so I decided to do an embryo donor and a sperm donor okay so that was you know a process of making the selection and stuff um that's and then, hard that's mm-hmm. hard yeah it's hard it's as I'm sure a lot of your listeners know incredibly expensive yeah um so, you know, I kind of like decimated my 401k to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was something that was really important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I'm doing this. Yeah. So I worked with a local, you know, fertility center that kind of had local egg donors um, and a national sperm bank. And I think I ended up with maybe seven or eight embryos. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, so that was like I mean, that's a really summer good of number. 2014. Yeah, I was I was happy. She produced a lot of eggs, the donor, um, and I ended up having you know several like really healthy embryos. Yeah, which was great. Yeah. Um, so I got pregnant on my first round with those you know those embryos. Um, so that was like super exciting because yeah. I had never ever had a bot positive pregnancy test before so seeing so, that was mm-hmm. probably just a moment that you oh won't my god I was been waiting I for. was ecstatic mm-hmm. I was like I can't even tell I, well you probably know but yeah like when you see that after struggling for so long like at that point it had been like eight years or something like something ridiculous yeah 
um, by the time I got that pregnancy test. So you're like, wait a second, let me look at that again. Hold on. Let's just hold on. Nope. Don't put it in the trash. Put it next to the bed. Exactly. And of course, you know, they say, oh, don't test, you know, until the doctor does the blood test. And I was like, oh, hell no. Yeah. (laughs) We ain't got time for that. Exactly. Doing all the first responses. Yeah. Cleared off the, the shelves at the store. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I did that. Um, so that was awesome. I got that positive pregnancy test. However, early in the pregnancy, so you guys know that they test your blood. And if your numbers aren't doubling, that's not a great sign. Yes. Um, so that was kind of happening like the first few blood draws. So I was like sick to my stomach. I went in for like super early ultrasounds. Um, they ended up finding a heartbeat and they said, oh, don't worry, everything is okay. And then after maybe a few weeks, um, the numbers caught up. Oh, uh, nice. So that, yeah, that was positive. So I was kind of relieved about that. Um, how old were because you? Because of my... When this was all happening. How old? Yeah. Just um, I think when I was pregnant with Dylan, I was like 36. Okay. Yeah, it was 2014. So I'm pretty sure I was 36. Um, so I was having to see a high risk specialist, um, for the reasons I have already stated. Mm -hmm. Um, and once the numbers caught up after about, I don't know, that was like 10 weeks, like everything was kind of smooth sailing. Um, so I was seeing the high risk specialist like every two weeks. So I hadn't been seeing him for that long. I think I saw him at 14 weeks and then I saw him at 16 weeks. Um, so the 16-week appointment, I went um, and they did the ultrasound and basically uh, he said, you have no amniotic fluid left. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So like... Was that your first ultrasound? I, no, it was... I had a bunch with the reproductive specialist and then this was my second, third or second or third with... Um, like the perinatal specialist. Uh, so it was, it was just a shock because I had had multiple ultrasounds before that. Right. And, you know, you know, he was growing and everything seemed okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more of your story. I'm Jessica Curry. Star 104 is once again proud to support Emma's Footprints Winter Gala, which has become a must-attend event for the Erie community. Come and see the ambassador transform into a winter wonderland on Saturday, March 5th. Photos on the pink carpet, a delicious sit-down dinner, a unique dessert experience, exclusive auction items, dancing with Millennium Sound, and pictures in the photo booth. Grab your friends, get your outfit, and purchase your tickets for March 5th today by logging on to emmasfootprints.com. Proceeds benefit families grieving infants and pregnancy loss okay and we're back so no amniotic fluid um question were there signs of that like did you notice any sign of that or um no I really didn't I had started to so basically like a week before I had fallen down the stairs um not like Mm -hmm. a horrible fall but I fell like slipped and fell on my butt Mm-hmm. Um, so of course I was like perseverating about that. Sure. Like, oh my God, that, you know, if I had been more careful, um, blah, blah, blah. So basically the doctor said, sorry, there's nothing we can do. Um, and at this point you're just in the doctor's office, right? 
Yeah, it's just me and my mom. The doctor came in and said, I'm going to need you to come to this other room so we can talk. And I remember, like, freezing. Mm -hmm. I did not want to leave the room because I knew. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you know in your gut. And I knew once I left that room that it was going to be over. Mm -hmm. That... You know, it's just your worst nightmare come true, and I was going to walk out of that room into my worst nightmare, and which is pretty much what happened. Um, so they basically said, "I'm, you know, I'm so sorry. Um, you, <laughs> they, unfortunately, they weren't too warm and fuzzy." He basically said, "You know, I can refer you to a clinic that can end the pregnancy." Um, and they kind of just left me high and dry. It was like a few days before Thanksgiving as well. So everybody was going on vacation. Um, And I kind of, so basically I went right to a specialist in the city (laughs) to kind of jump a little, a few days forward because I was not um, thrilled with the care I had received at that high risk specialist and they weren't being very helpful, frankly, considering the situation, the mm-hmm. gravity of the situation. Because at that point, I think there's so my many... baby was still alive. Right. Yeah. And I just want to interject. There are so many families that find themselves in similar situations. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there is, I mean, kind of like you spoke to that. They're like, good luck or yeah. here's one option. Yeah, and they it's... don't sit and like, like talk to you. Yeah. I mean, that is a a slap a in the shock, face. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and you, I mean, your body's in shock and then. Mm-hmm. All these decisions you have to make, <clears throat> excuse me, and you have no no information. It's like, how do yeah, you, it's, what do you do it's, next? It's terrible. Well, that's exactly it. What do you do next? It's, I personally feel like I was given very little direction. And again, even as somebody in the medical profession, when you're in shock, mm-hmm. you're not, you know, obviously not thinking clearly. You're not thinking logically. You're just, I mean, personally, I was just kind of like, you know, kind of WTF. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm stuck. What the heck do I do? Mm-hmm. And you and don't I even know so... who to call. I mean, even exactly. if you knew what to do. Exactly. I was so worried, like, he was suffering, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously because they need the amniotic fluid to breathe and, you know, get oxygen. And I was just freaking out. Mm-hmm. Um, so a friend of my mom's knew a high risk specialist in the city at one of the big hospitals. Um, so she got me an appointment. Um, so I drove, we drove down, um, I think it was like two days before Thanksgiving. Um, and I went to that appointment and basically he said, I'm sorry, your baby's not, not living anymore. Um, so that was incredibly traumatic. Mm. (laughs) Um, that was just a couple days after that first appointment. Yeah, it was not long because I was like, <laughs> like, what the heck? I have to do something. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I was hoping that, you know, maybe this hospital would offer me some hope. But unfortunately, uh, he had already passed by the time I got down there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up having to do um, a DNE. Mm-hmm. Um, they were worried because of my two uterus situation Mm. (laughs) that I wouldn't um, like labor effectively and 
that would be an issue of its own. So I did a DNA, which was excruciating. Um, it was worse <laughs> than birthing twin, the twins, um, would not recommend. Uh, and they, so anyway, so I'm sorry, long story short, they ended up saying that he, um, he had like catastrophic congenital anomalies. Oh, um, and you mentioned his, that, name, his name's Dylan. Yeah. Aww. Yes. His name was Dylan James. Um, and he had, they did genetic testing, um, which proved inconclusive. Um, but basically the doctor said to me that his like feet and legs were fused together mm. um so it was kind of like almost like a i don't know i think of it as like you know the kind of the mermaid syndrome where the legs okay yeah are totally fused um and that's why i didn't have any amniotic fluid because he couldn't produce urine oh wow, wow. That is yeah so it was kind of like Wow. that piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. kind of came together once sure um i had him and then they kind of you know i mean they could physically see that that was sure. the, issue, the issue uh so that was like the first week in december that i kind of uh, you know had him so to speak um and you know it took me uh a while to process <laughs> that sure. grief and trauma um but again, I was still kind of like hyper focused, like I'm still gonna do this. Um, I had I think maybe four or five embryos left at that time, so that was kind of a little bit of hope for the future. Um, and while it was traumatic, I guess provided me like a small bit of solace was he would never have lived. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like no yeah. matter what happened, yeah. um, he would never have lived. So and you would have found that out probably, you know, in future sonograms. Right. Right. So exactly. That would have, that would have hit you then, mm-hmm. you know? Right. So I actually, again, this is all in retrospect, not at the time, but it kind of all happened for the best because I feel like if I had had to make the decision sure. uh, to end the pregnancy or not, that would have like destroyed me. Yeah, right. that's a whole different kind of ballgame. Um, yeah, exactly. To have to make that decision. Um, so, yeah. And sweet your Dylan. story doesn't end there. No, it keeps no. going. <laughs> it doesn't end. All right. So, Sweet um, Dylan was born um, in yeah. December. Did you say what's of... his birthday? Uh, yeah. So I ended up. So the day that I actually officially kind of he came into the world was December fifth. Okay. Um, of 2014. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and then, so anyway, like I said, I had a few embryos left. I took some time. Um, I think before I got pregnant with the twins, I tried once, didn't work. Um, and then on the second round um, of that kind of, you know, when I was starting again, um, I got pregnant with identical twins. Wow. Um, so <laughs> was that two embryos or was that one embryo so that, that was, split? I then? actually Ooh, did put in two embryos, but it was the one, yeah. one that split that Identical. took. Yeah. Correct. Those um, little boogers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Actually, 
um, you know, when you do IVF, they give you a little picture uh-huh. of the embryo when you ha- on the day. Yeah. Um, and it was like my we joke. My mom thought I was crazy. I was like, doesn't that look like it's splitting a little bit? Yeah, and she was like, already. what are you talking about? <laughs> it was definitely splitting before they even put it in. Uh, it put implanted it. Wow. So wow. So yeah. Um, so I kind of had a sixth sense. I was pregnant with twins I thought I was being kind of you know like paranoid but at any point like, did you think you were pregnant with triplets <laughs> <laughs> well you're like well I if that see, one splits and then know. there's another one well, what's the other one? I, one. I think the doctor knew that it was gonna that that one was splitting already yeah and he was praying it wasn't gonna be triplets because sure. you know yeah be what two identical and then one (laughs) for like how cool that would be interesting it would be (laughs) i'm sure it's happened in the world you might get your own reality show yeah Yeah, definitely (laughs) okay okay Um, how how long after you lost dylan did was this happening so i lost dylan in december you know late november early december 2014 and then i had the um, embryo transfer with the with the twins in March of 2016. Okay, so it was about a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I found out pretty early because <laughs> um, the tests were getting really dark really early. Because those first uh, responses were pulling through. They were <laughs> doing what they needed to do. Responses <laughs> always pull through. <laughs> yeah. When I tell you, I had them. You know how obsessive we get. Uh, I had them lined up, pictures, different lighting. Mm -hmm. The obsession is real. I could could probably share my pictures, too. It's like, day four after five-day transfer. Here's the stick. Day five after five-day transfer. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um, So we got to pause it. So anyway, I think, I don't know, it was maybe two or three weeks after the, the transfer, um, usually they do the ultrasound at like five weeks. Anyway, I think I got them to take me in like a few days early because, I don't know, I was just nervous. I was mm-hmm. so nervous after losing Dylan. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want the ultrasound because I thought it was twins. I was just yeah so nervous and paranoid that something else was going to go wrong. Sure, of course, yeah. Uh, so anyway, they took me in early, um, a few days early, and I remember her... <laughs> doing the ultrasound and she was like oh there's one you know how you see like the little circle the little little yolk sac yeah and then she like turned it like (laughs) she turned it away from him like one and she turned it in a different direction like oh let's just look around while we're here (laughs) kind of of situation and there was two yeah she was she confirmed it did the the sonogram tech no i mean you said you kind of knew was she prepared to look to look for a to. twin or she was just doing her job and um so actually this baby was um, an NP that was doing it okay um because I was at the um I was still at the infertility doctor so um, and I guess you know NP. exactly mm-hmm. a nurse practitioner um so I guess she knew that I did put in two embryos so I think maybe yeah, she was they kind had of to look <laughs> to confirm. Got it. Okay. Exactly. She was like fishing around just in case. And, and it, there's always like I know that we've kind of hijacked the story of infertility, but um, 
there's always like a pit in your stomach. I think I can speak to anyways because I've transferred two embryos at one time and it's just like, oh god, is there two? Oh gosh, oh yeah, is there two? Is there one? Okay, you only see one. You yep. sure? Are you, how many? What? So basically, double triple check. Saw, exactly. So I had my mom with me with for that ultrasound and. I was just so elated that everything was like looked healthy and she was not that excited. <laughs> um, not because, you know, she wasn't thrilled to, you know, be a grandma and that kind of stuff. But in the moment, I think she was more logical where sure. she knew twins was going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, realistically. Sure. Uh, so... Um, unlike Dylan's early pregnancy, the twins' pregnancy was super healthy. Um, I felt them move super early. Um, I started going to uh, a high-risk specialist, I think, at like 12 weeks. They were measuring everything, you know, anatomically. Everything was healthy. They were growing great. Um, And my, so, you know, uh, um, the 20 week ultrasound where they do like the big mm-hmm. ultrasounds, mm-hmm. like the, all the stuff <laughs> Yeah, where they measure everything. And, you know, it's kind of longer and more intense than, you know, your typical. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went for my 20 week ultrasound and it took like, it took like almost an hour because there was two instead right. of one. <clears throat> and I think, I think the tech knew from the beginning and she just wanted to get the, <laughs> The measurements before I freaked out. Mm. Um, at the end of the appointment, uh, she basically said, "I'm so sorry, um, you don't have any cervix left." Oh my gosh! Oh gosh! Yeah. And um, from previous podcasts, they have to do. I remember talking to somebody. They have to do a whole entire scan, or no? Maybe it was a scan I got. Um. Yeah, my yeah. T- Sonotech said, unfortunately, even if there is a loss we have to do a mm-hmm. whole scan so right. it's like do we tell them before right and then try and get a whole scan in or do we do a whole scan and then tell them right. it's just this like right double-edged sword yeah there's no right and I, I get it i yeah. understand because i would never have sat through a whole sure. scan yeah <laughs> i think yep. we all yeah you know yeah. no we couldn't you can't sit there after something like that right. so oh my gosh um i remember because i had just started to Cause I lost Dylan at 16 weeks and I was at oh, like 20 weeks at that point. So I remember I had just started to like really relax. Oh, yeah. Like, Oh my God. Oh, it's only four more weeks until viability. And like, they're so healthy. Like, Oh wow. This may really, yeah. <laughs> this may really work. Um, so I remember just sitting on the table. Like, I cannot believe this is happening again. Like it was, even though it was a different issue. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, just to like, why, why is this happening again? Right. Um, it's just like such a knife in your heart and in your gut. Um, so anyway, they sent me up to labor and delivery, um, where I stayed overnight and they debated on, you know, trying to do a cerclage with like the little Mm -hmm. cervix I had left. But they ended up basically saying, no, it's not going to work. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, they had 
set me up in the on the monitor and stuff and I was already having like small contractions mm -hmm. which I didn't feel mm -hmm. um, but basically I started to go into labor um, so they kind of were like I'm so sorry there's really nothing we can do you're still a good month out from viability mm -hmm. um, as far as like met medication you know intervention and that and so they sent me home um, so I kind of came home back to kind of more upstate New York and I just tried to be <laughs> kind of as still as possible you know they said you know put your feet up don't do much that kind of jazz which I tried um, and I think maybe four or five maybe four days later I started to like feel contractions mm. um, so I called my kind of my old OB who was up here. Um, I wasn't seeing her because I was seeing the high-risk person in the city. Mm -hmm. um, so I, well, I called the hospital um, and she happened to be on call that weekend, which was kind of a heaven sent. And I said, look, this is the situation. She knew my issues with infertility. Um, I said, I think I'm having contractions. This is going on. And she said, okay, I'm on call. She said, you can, you know, come to the hospital whenever you need to, I'm here. Um, so my mom ended up coming in and staying with me for a few days. And then I woke up, <clears throat> I think it was like the fifth or sixth day after I had left the city hospital. Um, and I, you know, I was having like in moderate contractions. So I started to get, you know, kind of scared, like this is happening. This is not going away. Um, There's no stopping this is, it. Yeah, exactly. There's no stopping it. So I, we went up. Um, God bless my doctor. She was there. Um, they put me on the monitors. I was having more intense contractions. And she basically said, <laughs> you know, you ask, you ask the doctors, like, if this was your daughter or, you know, this yeah. was your family member, what, what would, you, would do? you do? What Like, I literally... Even though, I mean, I'm not a labor and delivery nurse, but I've been in the medical profession for a while, but I was so, like, I was like, what the heck do I do? What yeah. do I do? What is the right thing to do? I was, I did not know. And these are um, decisions you have to make right then. Yeah. You can't exactly. go home and research and think about it and right. have time. Right, exactly. Like, you can't just hang out in the hospital indefinitely. Right. Like, either we're going to do something or you, you're going to go home. Right. Um. So she basically said, you know, there's still so um, early that, you know, this is not, this is not going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we can't even give you medication because you still have a good almost four weeks until they're even at viability. So like, right. legally, we can't even start giving you any medication to slow down the contractions. Yeah. Um, you're at risk for infection because you don't, you know, have any cervix right. left and all of that. So she wanted to break my water. Um, and we ended up doing that, which even it's almost six years later, I still grapple mm. <laughs> with that decision. Yeah. Even though logically I know it was the right decision, but that decision still haunts me. Mm -hmm. um, so... We did that. Um, <laughs> everything stalled once they broke my water, sure. um, of course. So they gave me Pitocin. I got an epidural. Um, 
this was like late at night by that time. So we went to sleep. Um, you know, they were checking on me periodically. Um, and I remember I woke up, it was probably almost five o'clock in the morning. And I, you know, I was numb because I had the epidural. So they had to catheterize me. Um, and the nurse had come in and I remember saying, something feels weird. Like, I know I can't really feel anything. I don't know if it's no. the catheter, but can you just like check while you're here <laughs> kind of thing? Um, so she checked and it was one of the babies. I knew you were going to oh, say gosh. that. Um, so oh, basically Erica. it went from like lights off five o'clock, four or five o'clock in the morning to like 10 people in the room, yeah. lights on, and like zero to a hundred in a minute. Wow. Oh my gosh. Um, so that <laughs> in itself so was you like delivered super... the baby, right? Uh, he was like almost, he was almost out. Okay. So basically the nurse, you know, called on her walkie talkie. The doctor had actually been in another delivery, came from that delivery mm -hmm. to down the hall to me. Um, and I remember I just, I'm not like, I'm a pretty quiet person. I'm not like a screamy person. Yeah. Um, but in that moment, I just like closed my eyes. And I remember saying, I don't want them to come out. I don't want them to come out. I know. Like when that finality is like in your face, um, I couldn't, I, I was just, I was like, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah. I don't know what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. I don't know if it was because it happened that fast that that was part of it um well you're still holding I, I on just, hope you know i mean you're as a mama and trying to hold on to hope and then exactly do to stop it yeah exactly so um jacob was born first um and i was kind of freaking out and i remember the doctor just said erica your baby is alive like in the midst of me screaming yeah, yeah. and so i basically like shut up they put him in my arms mm -hmm. and he was alive. I mean, yeah. obviously, yeah. you know, um, so he lived for, I think, six or seven minutes. Um, I held him mm -hmm. um, and I think during that time or a, a few minutes after he passed, I delivered Luke um, and Luke was... <laughs> So, you know, in utero, they have their own personalities. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Jacob was always like, he was the one on the bottom. So I don't know if that was why, but he was always like mellow, quiet. <laughs> Luke was on the top and he would always like push up against the ultrasound tech when we were having ultrasounds. And he was always like <laughs> super spunky and like flipping and stuff like that. Um, so he came out kind of that same way yeah um he actually cried oh wow um so that was super oh, painful yeah. because they say oh they're not supposed to have any lung function uh, they're not supposed to be viable i mean he didn't like cry indefinitely he maybe sure. cried once or twice but he still cried yeah um and he uh i held him and he lived for over an hour oh wow um, probably like an hour and maybe seven minutes. And every time they like listened to his heart, they were like, Oh, it's still going. Um, so I held him for a very long time. Oh. Um, and then, you know, they took them and cleaned them up and, 
you know, they have people that are so <laughs> wonderful and gracious and make things for babies that are born early. And so they put them in like a little outfit um, with little hats and stuff, like hand knitted hats. Um, the staff was amazing. They made, well, they didn't put them on, but they made me like these little bracelets with their name, mm-hmm. which was so beautiful. Um, and I got to, the staff was, just, I can't say enough about the staff at the hospital. They were amazing. Um, they let me keep them in the room. Um, Did you for, get pictures with them? I so they asked me if I wanted <laughs> pictures of them in my arms, and I was like, no. Um, I kind of wish that I had taken them up on the offer, but they did take pictures of the boys. Okay. Um, so I still do have pictures of them. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, they sent me home with like a beautiful little care box, like I said, with mm-hmm. their little hats, and they had like hand knitted blankets for each of them. Um, so that's really special to kind of still have a tangible, yeah. uh, you know, kind of keepsake or representation of them this far out. <laughs> yeah. And we all have that box Yeah, with, yeah. Our, with our child's things in them, even if, exactly. it's, if, it, you know, if it's a lot or just one or two things. Right. That's really special. Yeah. It's so meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, so when is their birthday? So there, it's actually ironic that we changed this to the 25th cause it's July 25th. July so I had them July 25th, 2016. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So that's their, their birthday. Um, so <laughs> basically after I had them, I was, as you can imagine, even more traumatized than when yeah. I had Dylan. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so, too, because a whole different scenario happened. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the amniotic right. fluid. So right. it's like after you go through loss and you get pregnant again, you're preparing yourself up to get hurt again, right? Yep. We we say exactly. like, yep, I'm going to do this again and I'm prepared for it to happen all over again. And then when it doesn't, you're probably, like you said, take a deep breath, finally feel you know comfortable, and then something else hits you. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, I wasn't actually prepared for that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's very true. Um, So I ended up going to a local support group in the hospital where I delivered them, which was really helpful. Um, So I probably did that for a few months. And then once I was ready to go back to work, I kind of, this is just me personally, um, I kind of had to compartmentalize to function Um, because Mm -hmm. just kind of on the mental health perspective, even with all my knowledge as a mental health (laughs) professional, and this is why I like, I think it's so important for (laughs) your listeners. Mm -hmm. Even I couldn't deal appropriately with what happened. Um, even though I knew how to navigate the mental health system, um, and had a lot of resources, I still had great difficulty Um, you know, when I was off, you know, work in my kind of FMLA time before I went back, Mm -hmm. it became very difficult and it took me a while. I sought, you know, to see a therapist and a professional and it it was a long time before I found somebody I really clicked with and who was really helpful. Right. Um, and thankfully I ended up, you know, eventually finding that person, but it can be very hard, especially when you're so shut down by grief you don't want to do anything right let alone um, find let a, another 
therapist and then another mm-hmm. therapist. Exactly. Let alone like interviewing people to find right if yeah. they're the right fit. Like I could barely leave the house. Right. So, and that was kind of, you know, before tele, telemedicine, telehealth mm-hmm. became so popular. Yeah. yeah. Um, and again, thankfully I, I did find that person who was great and, you know, kind of helped me bounce back, but it's a long a long road yeah um everybody is different Mm -hmm. but I would say it probably took me two years until I started to feel like my quote-unquote normal self yeah and that's you putting the work in yeah too you know yeah exactly years that go by that yeah it help you magically feels better right yeah right digging in and doing the work absolutely and it's still you know pops up every once in a while in ways that kind of catch me off guard. Yeah. Um, which I think is, you know, for people that are going through the grief process, any grief process is normal, but you know, even though you think like, all right, I've, I've overcome this hurdle and I'm good. You really are wrong. Lies that we believe about grief. Yeah. And I, I have a question. How, how did you find our podcast? Yeah. How did you find us? Um, so I took, um, so now I'm a nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner and I'm getting certified in perinatal mental health. Ooh. Pam so, certified in that. Yeah. <laughs> so your, I believe your podcast was, um, so basically to get Suggested. certified, you have to take like a three day course. Yeah. Um, and I think you guys were in some of my literature um what? kind of as part of the course so what? yeah <laughs> should see our this faces is so fun <laughs> it's like yeah we just want to sit and share stories and how important it is because obviously this is um it's not really taboo anymore it's like we're trying to make this well we're not letting it be taboo yeah i mean it's not in our world <laughs> yeah. but um, absolutely wow that's impressive yeah and like, I how think do these people so find that- us from out of town you know Google. The I don't know. When we're done, I will let you know. They have like, you know, they give you a whole packet of resources and info as the yeah, course goes on. Do. It, it, Cause it's yeah. not like they called and said, Hey, we would yeah. like to add you to this. I'm, I'm so glad they did. <laughs> yeah. They don't, that's need, cool. Don't need our permission. Right. But, um, we don't know these things. So yeah. it's, it's kind of cool because I mean, I, I just, I'm still overwhelmed and shocked at the outreach of this podcast and how many listeners yeah. are listening and, uh, just how this is really helping people. Yeah. It's helping the person sharing their story. Mm-hmm. I mean, Erica, you mentioned you haven't shared your story like this before. And no, so I have, I have not. What this is going to do for you, you know, I know this is draining and emotional and exhausting, but <laughs> it's what your mama heart needs to yeah. talk about your boys, you know, right. to say Dylan yeah, it definitely and Jacob is, and Luke's name um, and tell us about Absolutely. Them. It is cathartic. Mm-hmm. It is cathartic because the I'm listeners sure you... that are connecting with different parts of your story. Right. Um, they're like, oh my gosh, she's like me. Yeah, I went through that. Yeah, and I'm not alone. Yeah, and I think, and that's kind of, you know, part of my aim um, is to kind of put education out there. Um, and personally, so in my journey of being a mental health professional, and now I'm a psychiatric NP, I do want to specialize in reproductive psychiatry. Hmm. Um, we agree with that. Wow. <laughs> Uh, just, Get you know, in, again, in my own experience being a mental health professional and seeing how difficult it is and seeing regular psychiatrists who just don't get it, mm-hmm. um, I 
want to kind of, I mean, you know, <laughs> typical like psychology 101, I want to be the person that I didn't have for other people. Yep. Because, um, you know, I just, it's so, it's such a lonely, isolating feeling, even when you have, you know, super supportive family members mm-hmm. and friends. And I did. Um, but in, it's kind of one of those things, I think, unless you've gone through it, like down and dirty gone through it, you don't understand. Yeah. 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 I believe Pam Pressler calls that the purpose and the pain. Yes. You're yeah. Finding your purpose th- from your pain. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I uh, want to make that my purpose. I feel like it's so important. It's such an underserved population in psychiatry. Yes. Um, it's just so important to kind of address those needs, kind of our community needs. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Well, I'm um, looking forward. How do we work together in the future? You know, we're going to talk <laughs> offline about how yeah. we with yeah uh, absolutely the telehealth and yes yes how do we connect so, our families so to you important. and what you do absolutely so absolutely this, this is not the last you're gonna hear from us no. <laughs> it's about building that army that's right yeah exactly exactly um i actually so while i was in grad school um in np school i am part of the star legacy foundation I oh yes oh we've been to the stillbirth summit Twice. Yeah, so I basically have been, I, I'm a peer companion. Okay. Um, so that was kind of like my outlet when, when I was in school. Um, so that was a really awesome experience over the past like year and a half. Um, but now, you know, I'm a mental health, <laughs> officially a mental health provider. Um, I kind of want to up that game and, yeah. you know, provide support and care to um, reproductive psychiatry patients. I love it. We are for it. We're here for it. Totally. Encourage you and cheer you on and send you mamas. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap it up. Oh my gosh. That was amazing. Thank you for reaching out to us. Thank you for sharing. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, And listeners, thank you for tuning in. If anybody has any questions or wants to be connected with Erica, reach out to us and we'll make that happen. And stay tuned uh, next week for another episode of Confessions of a Grieving Mother. 